Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert Long with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard and joining us to look at a rough last few days for the Strohs is our former co-host, nearly 40-year sports journalist and lifelong Houston sports fan and follower, Stephen Curran. Hey, Stephen, good news. Altuve, he's ahead of schedule on that thumb, man. Well, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised after all, Robert. It is Jose Altuve. Now, he is beginning baseball activities. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's ready to come back. In fact, you know, he hasn't done any swinging that I know of unless he started doing some today. But from what I understand, he's still a little bit a ways away. I mean, they were projecting June, I think. He might come back before that. But, you know, it begs the question. I mean, there's there's even been some questions of whether he'll actually do a minor league uh, rehab stint and I would think that he would at least do a brief one because yeah he's had a little bit of spring training and he was in the the world baseball classic but it's not like he's been fully ramped up and of course with the injury he's been out for over a month month and a half so yeah it, it's great to know that he is ahead of schedule because the sooner we get Jose back and just being in him into game form because that's obviously what it's going to take the, the sooner that happens the better for this team because they just are so up and down right now. Sean, we I talked think. about it right up the start of the season. Altuve, he, he's one of the most important players because you know when this guy is hot, he carries the team, he ignites the whole thing. And when he's not, the team struggles offensively. And this team right now is struggling offensively. They are. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because we talk about how stacked this lineup is top to bottom all the time, right? I mean, obviously, there's a couple of weak links, uh, you know, if Maldonado's catching, you know, or if Hensley's in the lineup, whatever. I mean, they're going to have, just like any other lineup, you know, the weakest link. But, man, with Jordan kind of not really putting it together at the plate lately and Kyle Tucker not hitting for extra bases, you know, not doing what we saw him do earlier this season, what we know he's capable of. Alex Bregman's still struggling. And you mentioned it, obviously, no Altuve, no Brantley. And, you know, you're kind of hurting a little bit across the board and looking for production. But it's kind of funny because when Tucker's not producing, when Alvarez isn't producing, you're kind of left standing in the middle of the room with your hands on your hips like, hey, <laughs> come on, where's where's Bregman? You know, where's yeah, Pena? Yeah. You know, come on, Dubon, let's go, man. You know, he's kind of cooled off a little bit since that 2021 game hitting streak he started the season with. But, you know, it, it, you are going to be infused with a little juice you know, when Altuve does come back. But he might be another month away, and he should be because of the way Dubon has played. You have that luxury, again, to get him as close to or beyond 100% as possible. Get this dude ready just where he's begging you to come back um, because of what Dubon's doing. But, hey, you're going to get Brantley back. You're going to get Chaz back maybe as soon as next week. And that in itself really should, you know, give the Astros a little bit of spark. I mean – I know people say what they want to about Michael Brantley, and I, I get it. Everybody's got their detractors and, and criticisms, but damn, Michael Brantley's a 300 hitter when he's healthy, man. And the guy's yeah, going to spray the ball. And so I'm looking forward to him coming back. I think he's going to be a huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't counted Brantley as far as, you know, why the team has struggled so much this year, probably as much as some people, just because he hasn't been with the club in almost a year. You know, it was last June yeah. that he got injured. So, I, I mean, we they've been without Brantley for almost a year, but obviously getting him back and getting him in game form you know he's he's been getting on base more and more at Sugarland which is kind of what you would expect but you've got to get him in a big league situation that is that is certainly going to help the team 
And if you, you really think about it, guys, with, with all the struggles the Astros have had, you know, injury-wise, I, I mean, it, it's really, I guess it shouldn't be too surprising, even though it is disappointing, that they are where they are. You know, they're 16 and 15, and but, but they're third in the American League West, but it's not like they're 10, 12, 15 games off the pace. I mean, you talk about the, the New York Yankees with all the talent they have, but they've got a bunch of injuries, and they're struggling. I think their record, you know, at, at the time we're recording this, is 17 and 15. And, you know, you're stacking up against teams like Tampa Bay, who's just off to this ridiculous start. But that doesn't mean anything. You know, you still got to go through the whole season. So really, as disappointing as it is, and I know we'll get into the pitching woes here in a minute, but really, I mean, the Astros are probably in about as good a position as you could expect them to be, considering all that's going on. Sean, are you I, telling me you're missing Mauricio Dubigio hitting <laughs> and, and, and that kills the offense? Mauricio Dubigio can't have a slump? Mauricio Dubigio. I love Mauricio. that. I that, love is, that. that is classic. I don't know how long it took you to think of that one, but uh, something tells I, I wasn't brilliant enough to think of that. I was trying to come up with a nickname for him. I was going to say, just nailed something it, tells me because Robert's Robert, it took him all of about five <laughs> seconds to come up with that one. It's just him. So tip of the cap to you on that one, my friend. Um Hey, look, you know, he can't carry this offense. He's just not out mm-hmm. Jose Altuve. Like, the production numbers could be absolutely equivalent. They could be better than what the best of Altuve has ever brought to you through the first 31 games of any season, right? It's just something different. When you know, like, a special player, like, your dude walks on the field, everybody just feels better everybody's confidence just kind of raises everybody feels better about what they're doing in a particular situation. Maybe certain types of pressures are off in certain situations when you know, you've got Altuve on base or when you know, you've got him on deck, whatever the case may be. So uh, he's huge. Brantley, I think has that same effect. When you know, Michael Brantley is healthy and in the dugout with you and producing and playing on the field with you, you feel better about yourself. Sometimes what he says to you, if it's a little piece of advice, if it's a little uh, just vote of confidence, whatever the, the chatter is on a given game to game basis with Brantley, if he's playing and producing, you feel a little bit better about it. So I, I think Steven's right. And I, I think we have to all agree that, yeah, 16 and 15, just being in the position you are, literally two and a half games out of first place in the AL West. I mean, count your lucky stars that, you know, the Rangers or the Angels haven't reeled off, you know, 26 out of their first 31 games as wins like the Rays have. They're playing stupid baseball. Um, but the Astros, they're still one of the very best. And, you know, reigning world champions they are, but last year doesn't mean a hill of beans. I just I don't agree with anyone that says they are severely not as talented this year as they were last year. They're not missing that many pieces from what these this team was last year. Um, it's a long season. I think they'll come around. Yeah, Dubigio might need to move to first base and become Dubagwell when Altuve gets healthy because uh, we might need funny, Dubagwell. Right? It's going to be we, funny we, like to see how creative Baker can get, you know, to keep – uh, Dubon's bat in the lineup. If he continues to hit when Altuve is ready to come back, you know, do you get creative and put him in the left, put him in the center? What, what DH you him. You could DH him. DH him yeah. I, I mean, look at the problems the Astros. Look, look who they've been putting in at the DH. David Hensley, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of it, the time. And uh, Ryland Bannon, I think, even DH'd once or twice. I mean, you're not getting any production 
with those guys. So it it is really going to be a boon when Altuve gets back, if for no other reason, that if Dubon, I mean, I don't expect him to continue this torrid a pace all year, but even a decent Mauricio Dubon is a whole lot better than the Mauricio Dubon we saw last year. Robert, you know, I came on this podcast many times last year and ragged on Dubon because he couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag. So the fact that, you know, he's made some changes during the offseason and is at least a much better hitter now than he was then, any kind of Mauricio Dubon production, even in a DH role, would help him. And, of course, he's going to spot start. You know, he could he could spot start or even in the late innings, you could put him in center field if you wanted to, you know, take somebody out. So it just gives you a, a lot more options to play with. Yeah, Stephen, he, he's going to start spelling Jeremy Pena and Alex Bregman and some of these guys that Dusty's just not been able to play uh, or take a day off, I should say, not <laughs> yeah. been able to, to yeah. bench because yeah. because the lineup is so, you know, lightweight right now. Well, that's right. And you could even say that, I mean, I hate to use fatigue as an excuse because you're so early in the season. But, you know, one thing Dusty does like to do is give guys days off. Well, he hadn't had that luxury because you don't have enough depth. Yeah, yeah. he he just, but he just was quoted as saying, you know, I'd love to rest Kyle Tucker because he's, you know, slumping a little bit right now, but I can't, I, I don't have a lot of options. And, you know, it's not just hitting that's an issue right now as far as guys health. Let's get into the pitching. The Astros lost Arquiti and Garcia in back-to-back days. McCuller, McCullers gave a report on his progress, which he tried to frame as positive, but really no timetable if you read into it. The starting pitching depth, kids, it's falling apart right now. It, it doesn't look good. Well, it's funny because I think Chandler Rome did a – and, of course, you know, he's with The Athletic now. He moved over from the Houston Chronicle. But he, he did a piece the other day where he was kind of inferring or at least wondering – should the Astros have gotten more starting pitching during the offseason? And, you know, there, there are two sides to that. Obviously, you can never have too much pitching, as one, one side says. But the other is you got to have a place to put these guys. I mean, if you had a crystal ball and you could look ahead and say, okay, we're going to lose two starting pitchers in two days, well, then, yeah, you're, you're going to make those kind of moves. But you obviously don't know when those things are going to happen and you got to put these guys somewhere. You can't have an eight-man rotation or seven even, you know, maybe six. But right now, you don't need that. And the Astros are fortunate that at least through next week, you could go with a four-man rotation. But after that, you know, when you start having fewer days off, you're going to need at least five guys in there. So you're going to find out what depth you really have in your minor league system. And you don't have much. You don't, you don't have a Hunter Brown that, you know, is everybody was talking about last year but even he didn't come up until late, late in the season. You just don't have that luxury. You've got some guys that have some arms who can start, but whether they're going to be effective or not is the question. You know, the biggest problem that um, I have with what the Astros did this offseason, really two things, um, you know, e- even the emergence, I guess, you call it a game or two here or there of uh, John or Diaz, you know, and he's looked good at the plate. Uh, you know, here more recently, obviously, we know the arm and uh, what he can do on the base paths, you know, and throwing guys out. But that's neither here nor there. Like, I really thought they should have been in the market for a catcher and a lot more serious about it than they uh, obviously ended up being. It would have been nice to have a Wilson Contreras here um, and, you know, kind of phase Maldi out because you do need a better bat when these guys are slumping. But the other problem I had is you lost Justin Verlander and. You know, I maybe took it a little bit too lightly 
um, maybe more, much more so than everybody else did. Maybe everybody else was right. Um, because what did you really replace Justin Verlander with? You know, you, you felt good about this embarrassment of riches, as we were calling it last year with the starting staff, when McCullers is healthy, when Verlander's healthy. And then, yeah, you're looking at, you know, Fromber and Arquiti and Garcia and Javier. And, oh, yeah, here comes young Hunter Brown, who's maybe, you know, a reincarnation of Justin Verlander now. But, yeah, when injuries do happen, and they will happen, they happen every year. The Astros, it was an anomalous year last season with – uh, the fortune that they had with nobody getting injured. But you have to prepare for that. And they didn't go out and get any starting pitching. They relied upon who they already had in the system, who they'd already seen, you know, have a cup of coffee or two uh, with the big club, and they rode with that. I'm not saying you needed to go out there and get a, a another, you know, future Hall of Fame type arm. I mean, those guys, you can't pluck them from a tree but just some sort of depth for the back end of the rotation, because if you believe what you did and what you do about this current staff right now, that you have a lot of two and three starters, you know, if you're talking about Garcia, if you're talking about Javier or Fromber, whoever it is, Hunter Brown, maybe one day is a good two. Maybe he's an ace of a staff. I don't know. But at this point, yeah, you do need depth. I just, I, at the same time, I think it's kind of foolish to say, oh yeah, we should have done a lot more. You know, we should have done this when bleep hits the fan and two guys in two days go down it's like you know hindsight sometimes it's a beautiful thing but sometimes well, here here i'll me just i'm gonna can i give the astros side of this for a second sean because this this is what you guys want you guys wanted them to go out and sign another starter but the problem is if you go out and sign another starter that's seven starters to start the season we didn't know right. back in that's December, what i was saying january and february that i mean that that's the problem and you know, the, the big issue with the Astros is, you know, you, you have guys that, you know, have developed. You could say, well, Hunter Brown hadn't done much, but he's the future. Urquidy and Garcia, those guys have established themselves as like legit starters to go stick them in the bullpen at this point is difficult. Like you, if you were going to go out and sign a starter, you would have had to go out and, and, and to help out this rotation. You would have had to go out and sign. You said it, a Justin Verlander level guy level guy so you could go okay Arkady Garcia or whoever or Hunter Brown you, you're gonna have to go to the bullpen here so th that was the big conundrum you know as Steven talked about but also like you you have to spend 20 million dollars for the next three years on a That's first it. baseman that can hit fi a 500 OPS <laughs> and is declining and is crappy and you wanted to use that money instead of the you know you you didn't want to waste the million dollars on Yuli Gurriel who could give you a nice 800 OPS because that, and, and, and it just typically does well in the postseason every year because that would have been a bad idea. I'm just, you know, uh, I didn't yeah, know you were it was going. terrible. It was a terrible idea, guys. It was terrible. I didn't know you were going to go ahead and crap on Jose Abreu. I mean, I, I, I nodded what my a head surprise. with what you were saying, but when I thought you, when you mentioned $20 million, I was nodding. Yeah. in agreement in terms of what you were going to have to spend on a pitcher in this market. Um, so that would, that in itself, you know, if you would have made that point, would have been a really good one because the cost, yeah, you'd have to go get a guy and you'd really have a log gem there if everybody's healthy at the same time. And it would have been a beautiful problem. I guess in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, perfect world. You know, you go out there and you get a guy that, you know, is somebody that could push, you know, your four, five, six, you know, for a, 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 a job. In the you know what? 
Crush them. I don't know why people do. You, you, people crush Jake Odorizzi for two things. One, because he got all pissy about Dusty pulling him that one time. And then two, um, he was hurt. Okay? When he was healthy, the guy was a pretty damn good pitcher. And if not for him eating a lot of those innings last, you know, <clears throat> his last year with the Astros, maybe they don't go and win a damn World Series. Um, I'm just not going to crush Jake Odorizzi. I thought when he was healthy, he was a damn good pitcher for us. Had a couple bad outings, but I mean, this day and age with all of these advanced stats and we're looking at this, that, and the other thing, hey, the dude pitched his ass off. Um, and I'd love to have a Jake Odorizzi type, not necessarily him because, well, he's not pitching baseballs anymore this season. Uh, he's out with a season-ending injury, but yeah. A Jake Odorizzi type, somebody to push somebody for for a job, somebody that maybe you can stash, you know, at AAA, somebody that maybe you can stash in the bullpen in a Seth Martinez, Ronel Blanco kind of a, a a way where you know he can come in in long relief, where you know he can make a really important spot start, and Blanco is going to have to step his game up because they might very well need him beyond Tuesday if they don't get any healthy bodies back. Are we disrespecting a little bit a uh, Brandon Belak? It, it's not like he's been a joke when he's been out there and, and had to give you some innings. I know. You know, Brandon is one of those that you, you keep waiting for him to, like like Brian Abreu last year, to really put it together and show you something. I mean, that's why he's been up and down and up and down because he just hasn't shown the consistency. But, hey, let's face it. You know, he, he came in for Luis Garcia and did a pretty decent job. Yeah, he, he had a lot of balls hit hard on him. You know, that was the big concern is that the Giants were hitting some pretty hard shots off of him. And so it, you, you're just not sure that you can trust a guy like Brandon Belak to go for the long haul. And, then, and that's kind of where your worry is. You know, are they going to take somebody like a Blanco and try him as a starter? Which I, I think Dana Brown, you know, you talk to him, he, he thinks Ronel Blanco can be a starter at some point. Maybe now this is the chance to find that out. Yeah, I, I wish I he would be so. a better reliever uh, before. Well, yeah, I mean his relief numbers haven't been—they've been a little better lately. But yeah, it's not exactly as if he's been shining it up, uh, you know, lighting it up as far as a reliever either. I, I think you're right. I think you have to give Blanca. I think it's a perfect opportunity to do that. And yeah, it, you know, we need to see a little bit more from Belak because you're in a position right now to where, you know, you need these guys for the long haul. And I'm talking about you know Urquidy, and I'm talking about. Um, you know, Luis Garcia, you got to get these guys right. You got to get them healthy. And you're only two and a half games out of first place. You're in a position to where, you know, this is maybe something we're not giving, you know, the Astros enough respect for it, being above 500, keeping their head above water with everything that's gone on to start the season, the WBC, the impact that it, you know, has potentially had on them directly. Um, but, you know, if if you're going to employ a guy, then you damn well better get everything you possibly can out of them when the opportunity arises. And Belak in a spot start the other day, you know, came through, gave the Astros every opportunity to win a ball game. And you got to give him the opportunity to figure some things out, why he's getting such hard contact, how he can create more softer contact, how he can show in the zone a little bit more than coming across, you know, with a, a slider that, um, you know, doesn't have as much break on it, or he has to come across with his fastball in a position where he really shouldn't, but have the confidence in a breaking the ball where it shows in the zone but falls out of the zone. That's why you're seeing a lot of hard contact with him is I think he's afraid to really show in the zone and have it land outside of the zone. Young pitchers like that that, that are in that kind of a pressure moment, I think, 
feel the pressure to have to come across with everything. It's not like you're going up there trying to strike everybody out. You're trying to get just get the ball in play, but they're hitting the heck out of the ball. You gotta trust your stuff. And I think he's got the stuff to do that. But give me opportunity to show what he can do. There's a guy named JP France, and we saw him a little bit in spring training. He's got some real potential. The rough thing with the Astros is these you're you're in a little bit of a pickle because the injuries to Garcia and Arquiti are early in the season. You if you have a guy of France's talent, you don't necessarily want to start the clock on him that early. You don't want to bring him up for just a start or two. So they're trying to you know piece it together with guys that they don't really see as much of a future. And Garcia and Arquiti, they just might miss a couple of starts each. And to have both guys go down at the same time with McCullers down, I mean, that's the problem. Like, you, like I don't know what team's going to survive three three starting pitchers going down, but the Astros have three starting pitchers going gone down, but they still have three starters out there named Fromber, Christian Javier, and Hunter Brown. Those are three pretty darn good starters for most teams. So we can get all upset and say the Astros don't have enough depth, but you got pretty good depth when those are your three starters that are still left out there and pitching every day. Well, that's certainly true. And, you know, sometimes your your fourth and fifth starters <clears throat> are not exactly – if they were better, they'd be one, two, or three starters. You know, J.P. France is – if you were going to call up somebody from AAA, J.P. France is probably your best – he's at least looked the best out of all those guys. You know, there's, there's a, a guy named Sean Dubin, but, you know, he's been kind of up and down. And I know the name Forrest Whitley is going to come up. People say, well, why don't you bring Forrest Whitley? Well – He's given up 14 runs in 21 innings, 14 earned runs in 21 innings. So he's not exactly lighting it up. And I just don't think you're going to see him, certainly not this early on, unless he can start straightening some things out. So, you know, it, it's a problem. But what I would say too, guys, is let, let's say Garcia and Arquiti or even one of them is going to be out for a pretty good while. If the Astros can just keep holding it together with what they get, and once they do get McCullers back, once he rounds into form, who knows what could happen at the trade deadline. If they're still in a position that they're in now where they are in playoff contention and they're going to, you know, can still make some waves and they need another pitcher, then, you know, you can just see what happens at the trade deadline. But right now, you just, you have to kind of piece it together with what you have. Yeah, you I'm going to look choice. at this as glass half full for a second on Arquiti, yeah. Sean, real quick, because uh, Arquiti goes down. Maybe this is something that's just been bothering him and he's been trying to pitch through. I don't know, but they're hitting 297 against him so far. He's got a five plus ERA. Maybe this, you know, start or two starts that he's going to miss. And hopefully it's not more than that. Maybe it's a good reset for him. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad, <laughs> bad take at all. I mean, you know, when you go down with injury, it's not like you're sitting on your couch, you know, just waiting and rehabbing every day for something to get better. No, I mean, you're trying to figure out exactly, um, you know, why I'm being touched up as much as I am. Why am I not seeing the results that I think I should see? And so, yeah, you better believe that, you know, he's he's studying film and he's trying to get right and he's holding the baseball in his hand every single day that he possibly can, you know, working on this, that, and the other thing. 100%. That guy, I told you, we've had this conversation probably, uh, it's been maybe two years ago now, but with Jose Urquidy in particular, I'll never forget this guy's first major league start. And this is why I love the guy. You know, I think he hit two guys, walked another, bases loaded, and there was nobody out. And that dude just did not lose composure. He stayed exactly the same on the mound, calm, cool, collected. But he had that freaking bulldog look in his face. And he went out there and got out of the inning unscathed. 
And that that showed me something, you know, just being a bulldog on the mound, not letting anything get to him. He was able to make the adjustment. If it was Maldi as his catcher, whoever it was at the time, just, you know, getting a little bit of advice or word of encouragement from him and then just going to work. That's what he did. I know he's doing the same thing right now, you know, while he's banged up and injured. Um, and so a guy like that who has shown that he can pitch in big time situations and be consistent, um, be one of those anchors. When a guy like Verlander's down, when a guy like McCullers is down, he and these guys like Garcia and Javier, they've all done it before. They're right. battle tested. So I've got every ounce of confidence in a guy like Jose Arquiti. And I hope he is here for the long haul with respect to this season, because I think you've learned now that all of these guys at any one point in time are vital to the success of the staff, just to the team, because you never know who's going to go down. You never know who else is going to be affected by their regimen, you know, being hiccuped or interrupted this offseason as the World Baseball Classic has unfortunately done for the Astros more so than anybody else to this point, at least. Well, I'm certainly no doctor, but uh, I, I'm more concerned about I, th I think Luis Garcia's injury than Arquides at this point, and you know, it obviously remains to be seen. But you know, Garcia was just starting to get it together when this happened. And you know, the thing about Arquides is that he did come on better as the season went on last year after he was out briefly, you know, last season. So, you know, there there is still plenty to look forward to. There are just a lot of unanswered questions right now, guys. Mm -hmm. I know Kyle Tucker's struggling a little bit right now, but. Please, 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 Dusty Baker. Jose Abreu has stunk the whole season. It is time to move him out of this four spot. It is time to have him not behind your best freaking hitters. It is time for him not to be protecting Alex Bregman in the lineup or Jordan Alvarez in the lineup because he's not protecting anybody. Drop him down in the order. Corey Jolks is crushing it even when he's slumping compared to Jose Abreu. Just drop him down. It's, it, I'm sure his, his real light ego after being in the baseball for a decade is not going to be crushed by just moving him a couple spots down the order until he gets his act together. Like, you know, earn your stripes a little bit, and he's not protecting anybody right now. Yeah, well, I think he did it once. I seem to recall one lineup where he moved him to sixth. Yeah. And then he moved him to – well, he would, he'd been batting fifth, I think, at one point. Then he moved him to sixth. And then he moved him up to fourth. So it's like, well, you only gave him one shot at the sixth spot. Why not keep him there for a little while and see if you can get him going? Well, I think here's the thing. When Jose Altuve comes back or Michael Brantley comes back and you start Michael Brantley, one of both of those guys, you're, you're going to have to move Abreu down in the lineup, especially if he keeps hitting the way he is because, you, <laughs> you know, you've got those guys coming in. So I, I think it's it's going to have to happen whether Dusty wants it to or not. But it is a little puzzling, you know, why he hasn't just kept him in the sixth spot and, you know, maybe even further down if he continues because it, it's just gone on way too long. I mean, you know, he's typically a slow starter, Abreu is, but, I mean, come on. this this is We're getting into May. It, it needs to get a bit better than that. Yeah, he's typically a slow starter, but every number across the board – you know, you could look, and I, I just pulled up, like, his career splits in terms of months. So, I mean, everything you just said right there is is true. But the problem is every other number across the board over the course of the last three years 
says that not only is he a slow starter in April and March, but he's declining with his hard hit percentage, with his batting average balls in play, with his everything, literally everything. So you're trying to figure out exactly why that's the case, diagnose it, and then can we fix it? And Alex Cintron said the other day that it's something mechanical. But the way that he'd said it didn't feel like he's actually identified anything particular yet with him. It's that, well, I think it is. Like, he's in the process of this whole thing. And then, you know, I think it was last night I'm watching the game, and Abreu smokes one to straightaway center. It was two nights ago. Smokes one to straightaway center field. I mean, you couldn't hit the ball any harder. He hit it 107 miles per hour off the bat, went for an out. That's the second hardest ball that he's hit all season. So I said to myself, hmm, you know, Cintron could have been playing coy a little bit, and, you know, maybe he has identified something. Maybe they have been working on it. You know, that ball right there spoke, you know, volumes to me when I went back and I, I, I replayed what Cintron said, and I was like, you know what? We just want to see him hit the ball hard, put the ball in play at this point, you know, and then, you know, we see Bregman go through these things where, you know, he's hitting the dog, you know what, out of the ball and they're just going for outs. And we're like, man, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? A good hitter is going to produce eventually, you know, the ball's going to, you know, find grass eventually. And if Abreu's figured anything out, he'll see that same type of success. I'm hoping that we're watching that turn the corner now a little bit because his numbers, you know, from May on to the rest of the season, I mean, they do nothing but this from from a career standpoint. And I know all his power numbers are down. He's yet to hit a home run, but I'm not I'm not going to crush him just yet, man, and say this is money not well spent at all. But I am with you guys that Dusty's got to find the best possible position for him in this lineup to help the team. It's not just about him. Well, one thing that did concern me that I read recently is that Alex Centron seemed to think it was something mechanical. Mm-hmm. Abreu disagreed. He, he just said, I'm not seeing the ball well. You know, that it's not a mechanical thing. So, you know, the fact that you're kind of disagreeing with your hitting coach a little bit, is it's a little bit disturbing to me. But, yeah, the home run production, I, I mean, it's not surprising because it's been going down for the last several years, but it is surprising to me that, he hasn't had a single one yet. I mean, he hasn't had one since last September with the yeah. White Sox. I mean, that that's pretty mind-boggling if you think about it. I mean, yeah, they've been declining over the last two or three years. But you'd think he'd have, you know, one or two by now yeah. even with his struggles. So that yeah, that's think, just amazing. You'd think he'd run into one and, yeah. you know, get a Crawford Box special, you know, or something like that, you know, by now. But the only thing I'd say with, you know, the Centron – um, argument. And I, I would have brought it up, but I just I didn't pay any mind to it because I thought, like, you know what? How often have we really talked to Alex Centron? You know, in in recent years, like you have every reason to want to talk to that guy right now because here's a guy that you spent a lot of money on that you brought in that you don't know anything about. That hey, you're paying this guy sixty million dollars and he's supposed to be mashing and he's not. So yeah, we're going to talk to Centron. So maybe Centron's lack of you know experience in talking with the media as much. Um, you know, kind of show, showed its face a little bit there. And he got caught up in maybe speculating off of a question that he wasn't prepared for for some reason in that instance. And Abreu was like, well, you know, hey, no, actually, it's not mechanical. I'm just not seeing the ball. You know, maybe they haven't talked. Uh, maybe Centron just got caught up. I don't know. I'm not going to make a thing of it. But I, I do what you're I, I do see what you're saying. I, I just you you have to know they are trying to figure it out. And oh, yeah. 
Um, I, I think, you know, just like with any other team, they're 31 games in, in a very long season. There's a little chemistry that maybe needs to work out. There's a little communication that maybe can be a little bit better between the two, between everybody. Uh, maybe Abreu himself, maybe he's feeling a little bit of pressure knowing that, hey, he's replacing, you know, a former batting champion. Um, and he's on a World Series championship squad right now. And he's maybe not doing everything he possibly could to maybe open himself up and say, hey, I need help. I'm, I, I just can't figure it out. So we'll have to see. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, I think for this month. And then, then it becomes uh, go time. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, part twenty of our Jose Abreu as the world turns uh, <laughs> next week. Hey, we got These a couple of, good of guests. Our lives. <laughs> we got a couple of good guests coming up uh, in, in the next week, so stay tuned because we're gonna talk to the Chronicle Texans, uh, one of our favorites, uh, Chronicle Texans um, reporter Steph Stradley, and we're gonna have a Texans quarterback on the show next week. Yes, we're gonna have Ooh. a Texans quarterback. On the show, that's your tease. But let's talk about draft, Stephen, because you haven't had a chance to chime in on it. What did you think? Have you uh, bought your C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson stock yet? Hey, Robert, I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, take this down. Write, write it down because I didn't think I'd be saying this for a long time. I'm actually a little excited to watch these Texans next year. Can you believe that? I mean, here's the thing. and The draft was Certainly one of the most surprising drafts I've ever seen across the board. But let's think about this, guys. For the last several years, we, the national media, the fans, have been crapping on the Texans, whether it's with Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby, Cal McNair, you know, Nick Casario not having a quarterback that, that you know, Deshaun Watson, the whole mess. All I heard about the first couple of days of this draft is how the Texans stole the show. That's right. The Texans stole the show. Now, if you ask Bill Simmons, you know, he, he thinks that he's the only one that doesn't care what the Texans do, but that's Bill Simmons. He's an East Coast guy, so what do you expect? I I must say, you know, they, they've taken a gamble here, and I know you guys have talked in the past, and Robert, you and I have too, you know, are we going to need to start calling him uh, Trader Nick because of all the trades he's made? He's made nine draft day trades i think since he's been the gm of the texans so it's one of those things it's going to be feast or famine you know history proves that this kind of trade you know to get will anderson uh, history is not really on the texan side but you at least have to give the guy credit for trying to make this team better and i think on a number of levels he has made the team better at least on paper they addressed all the needs and you got the two biggest needs taken care of in the first three picks of the first round of the draft. So I think it's just a matter of wait and see. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't really high on CJ Stroud, but look, he's the guy. So you need to go out and make sure you get him the support that he needs, whether it's wide receivers, offensive linemen, Sean, let me ask you something, you know, all the wide receivers, not all of them, but a number of them that the Texans already had and even got in the draft. They seem to have more slot guys than they have that real impact outside receiver number one guy. That's to me, that's really what they still lack. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you. Um, the the they're not short on athleticism, but they are short on that big body 
type of guy that can go up and get it. I mean, aside from Nico Collins, who yeah. is, is at best, you know, we I'll classify as just an unproven commodity for the Texans at the position. You're right. I, I don't think they have that guy. You know, they got a receiver from the Cowboys this past season. Um, you know, I can't remember his name. Is it Noah Brown? Yeah, I think Noah it's Brown. Noah Brown. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he could be a guy, but – I don't, I don't, I think he's just a guy right now. I need to see him play. I mean, he's been four years in the league and really got the first chance of his career to, you know, play every Sunday last year. And he produced, you know, and the numbers, if you look at it, it yields out over the course of a 17 game regular season schedule. Looks pretty nice. You would take a lot of that, but they have a lot of that okay, you know, type of production. I think we should be excited about the weaponry that is around C.J. Stroud to a degree. Most importantly, they've solidified this offensive line. I mean, I presume it's going to be Juice Scruggs getting the starts at center, and you've got Shaq Mason on the right side with Titus Howard and a young Kenyon Green who is already kind of vibing with Shaq Mason and learning some things and being a sponge. And, of course, you've got Laramie Tunsil. To me, that was the most important thing. you get got a rookie quarterback, a franchise, you better protect him. Yeah. I think they took care of that. I like Devin Singletary. I like Damian Pierce. So in that regard, look, even if the receivers don't pan out, like at the very least you should be able to run the ball. And – I think about it like this with Stroud. We went all of the last two years looking at all of the great production that, you know, C.J. Stroud has put up. I mean, almost identical numbers, you know, uh, to to Bryce Young. But what did he do? It was in that Georgia game, right? He played uncharacteristically uh, and ran the ball a little bit more, looked a little bit more instinctual. Like, I think about that, and then I think about, well, how the hell is he going to look in a Bobby Slowick coached offense? You know, from the Shanahan tree, the creativity that we've seen just evolve and evolve and evolve from that system. What's he going to look, look like now? Do we even know? Do we even have a clue of what we are going to see from C.J. Stroud in the first year, two or three years? And I say, no, I don't think we do at all, because if he surprised us that much out of one game, if that was as much, you know, uh, uh, Ryan Day uh, as it was just Stroud, you know, just letting him hang that day. I don't know what it was, but I I think once he gets comfortable in an offense, we're going to see a little bit of a different guy than we thought we knew in college and C.J. Stroud. And I think the weaponry in terms of the receiver court is probably going to take another offseason before you get him the guys that he needs. I got lectured by somebody on Twitter telling me because I had never played football. I didn't understand that Will Anderson was a bad pick. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Didn't, didn't everybody that was covering the draft that all the general managers, I think the, I think everybody in football agreed that this guy was like a top two or three pick. And the guy's telling me, Oh, well, and, and, and the guy, by the way, he also argued that Jadavian Clowney, the problem wasn't the fact that, you know, he didn't add more variety in his game. He didn't work hard enough. The problem was an injury. And I'm like, an injury? He was still like, I saw him the first few years. He was still one of the most, and it wasn't like he was, I'm not saying he was bad. I'm just saying the guy could have been elite if if he was a little bit more, better technically. That The problem was not physical with Jadavian Clowney in the first few years, his years with the Texans. Uh, he, he missed a few games. There were some injuries, but that was not the problem. The problem was the other stuff. But 
Uh, yeah. Apparently. How much you want to bet that guy didn't play football either, Robert? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, oh, he did. I, yeah. He played. He played middle school football. Yeah, maybe maybe day. Pop Warner. So, you know. Yeah. I used. I was the quarterback. You know, for my yeah. seventh grade team, and I won exactly. all district that year. And he's got his little, you know, <laughs> medium T-shirt to show off for it, but. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. There's a billion of those guys, you know. Well, time. time oh, Bill, Bill O'Brien. How about Bill O'Brien? He he's played a bunch of football. Do you want you want to have him in charge of your Texans again? He was he was brilliant. He knew yeah, he knew exactly. players. He knew trade value. Exactly. He knew what to do. I mean, Bill O'Brien. Come on, man. Brown University. He was a star. <laughs> Brown <laughs> University. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, last thing, Stephen. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, haven't also talked to you about the Rockets got a new coach. Do you, do you, you get a better feel for this team now? Are you going to, you can get a little more excited about this team. I'm, I'm trying to get Sean on the bandwagon. Can I get you on the bandwagon a little bit with the new coach? Well, I actually am. I, I mean, I think uh, Ime Adoka was the best hire the Rockets could have made with what was available. Cause you know what? Some of the guys that were out there like Kenny Atkinson and Sam Cassell, I mean, they were they were around when the Rockets were interviewing and hired Steven Silas. And I, I think they needed a coach that had experience winning. Now, I know, you know, Adoka, yeah, he did take the Celtics to the finals. And, yeah, he did have a pretty good team in place when he took over. We need to see what he can do with a rebuild. I mean, that's going to be the big question for him. And, you know, my position as far as, you know, what he did in Boston that got him suspended and ultimately let go is, Look, it was wrong. It was inappropriate. And he has said that. But it's not as if he committed a crime or, you know, he a, a domestic violence type of thing. You know, it's a very complicated situation. But all you can say is that he, you know, has, has said that he's grown from it, has made some changes. Time will tell that. But I think the Rockets did make the best decision they could. I think he was the best coach. If you weren't going to get a Nick Nurse in there, and I wasn't totally sold on Nick Nurse, but he certainly had the experience that I think the Rockets needed. But what I really liked, Robert, is the fact that he came out and is finally saying some things that needed to be said. And I know you guys talked about this already, but the youth is no excuse thing. That's one of the best things I've heard a coach say in a press conference in years. And it is the absolute truth. If You know, the Rockets didn't have a lot of veteran presence. But I think part of the thing is that they kept just falling too much back on this, oh, we're young, we're young. Well, it's time to start getting older. And so that's what I really appreciated about him coming in. I think you are going to see a different team on the floor next year just from an attitude standpoint. And who knows who they're going to bring in between now and training camp. Hey, Sean, I would love it if the Rockets just came out with their new slogan this year. Hashtag youth is no excuse. Just every single one, (laughs) youth is no excuse. It could be you know, a good Twitter tag for any of us right now. Yeah, oh, they yeah. could do better than that. Like, <laughs> they could do a little <laughs> bit better than that. You're right, though. Um, just say in regards to the youth movement, you know, we heard a lot of youth being an excuse, but I, I think they were protecting, you know, a lot of the guys. And what I think of when I hear youth is everything that we didn't see over the course of the last couple of years with these players in energy and hustle and effort and seeing the results on the court and then playing better defense, everything that they made about an excuse to me, I look at it as an advantage when you're talking about having extremely young players in a league playing against, you know, um, you know, 30 something ballers uh, in the NBA. 
they should have been better. They just did not, they did not have the coach that could pull that out of them. They didn't have a general manager that was allowing the coach, I don't think, to pull that out of them. It was a designed uh, crater, and they're there. And I think uh, Ime Udoka, um, you know, when you say, Stephen, that, hey, we want to see how he does in a rebuild. Yeah, you're right. But this isn't a teardown and a build back up. He's got to be the guy that builds this back up. The teardown is there. It was a deep-ass crater. Right. And he's got the talent available now to him, and hopefully the youthful ears and eyes and will from his players to pull them out of this hole. And they should be playing some really entertaining electric basketball this year with Ime Udoka. By the way, I have a question for you guys. Have you seen this dude smile yet? The like Has, has it? <laughs> Has it hit him, you know, that he is a head coach in the NBA after sitting out an entire year? Like, and does he, do you think he realizes the amount of talent that he has walked into on this Rockets roster? Like, I don't really sense the excitement from him. And I kind of like it in a weird way that, you know, he's a bulldog. He's coming into this understanding from what he'd viewed on the outside looking in that, Boy, this is a mess. I got a lot of work to do before I crack a smile. Oh, These I think you just said it. Special to make me smile. Yeah, you just <laughs> said it. I, I think he's too busy worrying about all the changes or just the, the readjustments he's going to need to make to get too excited you know he I'm looks sure he miserable does. he looks yeah. miserable well, already my, my first thing was like when when i'm seeing these interviews of him i think of jeff van gundy and how miserable jeff van gundy was every <laughs> single time i stuck a microphone in his face every day every shoot around practice after a game the guy just looked like he'd been on a all-night bender well, and Ime udoka looks the same way he's like he was a I'm pretty so decent hard. coach though at least you know for the most oh, part yeah. So no. hey, if it helps you win, go ahead. Just, just, you know, don't smile at all as long as you win. <laughs> well, a, a, a couple of things on this Van Gundy, frankly, he looked like, I mean, I remember going to the locker room with him and it, it just seemed like uh, we need to get some antidepressants for Van Gundy, yeah. but smiles yeah. from Udoka. I mean, the biggest criticism from Rockets fans was we, it was just all smiles from Steven Silas and we needed him to get yeah. tough. Yeah. And when you look yeah. at the Texans and when you look at the Rockets, but what I can say with both of these new coaches is I feel like both of them bring exactly what you need temper temperament wise from both Absolutely. of them. D'Amico Absolutely. D'Amico Ryan's, you needed joy. You needed like somebody to ignite a fan base. You needed somebody that would bring effervescence when he walked into a room. And that's what D'Amico Ryan's does with Udoka. You need it. You need somebody that's no nonsense. You need somebody that's like ready to get serious and down to earth with these guys. Like, you guys have actually got to try hard on defense. This is not when this isn't club med. You actually got to go try hard, yeah. try hard on defense. And look, I'm, I mean, we talk a lot about Udoka and the fact that, you know, this guy was in a finals, but he coached under Greg Popovich for years. This is somebody that has pops mentality a lot in his demeanor. You know, he's somebody that's not going to pull any punches, but yet he still can be relatable the same way pop can be relatable. You know, Pop can take his guys out, go have wine with them at dinner and a really nice dinner. And then the next day he's in their face and he's calling timeout 30 seconds into the game to get in Tony Parker's face and saying, what are you doing out there? You know, so that that's, I think, what Udoka's going to bring. And D'Amico's, you know, D'Amico's not going to play games, I'm sure, either. But I think the whole franchise just needs a little bit of a lift from the joy perspective and no offense to Levy Smith, who 
you know, he was a guy that, you know, had a little bit of that to him as well. But it, it this is like, it, there's an exuberance to D'Amico that you didn't get from Lovey or David Cully, although there was trying, but it wasn't convincing. And, you know, you definitely need that to change after, you know, all these years of Bill O'Brien and uh, Mr. Dowerhead's, you know, snarl, uh, meanie man, you know, I just, it, it, it's so nice to have D'Amico here and think that, Hey, this year, we're going to get to see a guy coach 17 games that I actually like, I like him as a personality. I like him as a person, you know, and, and I wanted him to be here and it wasn't some third or fourth or fifth or sixth choice. It was actually everybody's number one choice was D'Amico Ryan's. And, and how great is that? Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred percent. Um, you know, Jimmy Ward uh, spoke today um, and was talking about D'Amico and how those two particular even talked together while in San Francisco. And D'Amico, um, per Jimmy today, wanted Jimmy to always come and be his safe wherever he was going to be at. He was coaching in Denver or Houston or Indianapolis, wherever, Carolina, wherever it was going to be. When he gets that head coaching opportunity, he wants Jimmy to come be the safety for him. And you got a couple of San Francisco uh, 49ers um, over with D'Amico. And bringing that culture in, um, not to be San Francisco, but to just help guys, true pros, guys that are actually good, that have made marks in this league, to come in and show these young guys what winning looks like what it feels like what it sounds like what it takes and jimmy said exactly that i'm here to be an extension of the coaching staff um and and to show these guys what it takes and i think ime udoka is going to be charged with doing much of the same in assembling his staff and the type of players that they seek out in free agency guys that have been there done that made a mark know what winning feels, tastes like, what it takes, and they're going to bring it in. And it's going to be just like John Wall said. It's going to be a culture shock to some of these guys that thought they were getting away with like, hey, I just go out and ball out. This team don't care if we win or lose. I'm going to get mine. Uh, it's going to be a, a stark reality, you know, when whenever you're out there and you're hustling and you do all of the things that you think you need to do and you still get that L. How do you rebound? How do you get through those adversities? Yeah. That's the real challenge that Ime Udoka's got with this new club. It's about 10 weeks away from exhibition games. I can't wait for the Texans. I can't wait for the Rockets next season. But uh, always fun to have you on the show, Steve, and can't wait to bring you back again. Most importantly, <laughs> thanks for doing this. Well, hopefully, maybe, maybe this will light a fire into the Astros like it kind of did last time, Robert. But uh, yeah, always enjoy talking to you guys. Thanks, Steven. <laughs> You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.